Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 man I, I love you with the love of god but the greatest need in your life today is to turn to jesus nothing in your life is going to make sense and come together until you follow christ and it's not religion it's not just going through the motions it's not joining a church it's surrendering control of your life to jesus Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Do you ever feel like your family relationships are, I don't know, complicated? <laughs> like maybe sometimes people don't show up where they should be and do what they should be doing. Sometimes you have disagreements or, I don't know, in our family, a family of seven, I, I sometimes feel that way. Then when you add my brother and his family and you've got parents and Man, family life can be complicated. Even in a pastor's home, I mean, husband, even and wife can have, we like to call it heated fellowship. (laughs) Did you know that even Jesus could understand the complications of family business? He gets you. That's what we've been talking about for these last few weeks As we stand near the cross, he gets you. He understands the kinds of things that you feel. He gets you. Today, we're going to talk about that idea that he gets the complications of family business. But before we get to that, let's take a minute and review. We're looking at these last words of Jesus from the cross. The first thing he said as he looked around at the crowd, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And when we heard those words, we learned that Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. You felt hurt, physical hurt, emotional hurt, relational hurt, even spiritual hurt. And Jesus understands that. He gets your pain. But according to Jesus, the pathway from relief of a lot of pain is forgiveness. And so he taught us to forgive. The second words that Jesus said were to a criminal on the cross. He said, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. The, the first word was a word of forgiveness. And in a sense, this is a word of forgiveness too, but it's also a word of promise, of certainty, of confidence, of assurance. And, and Jesus is teaching us that he loves us just like he loved the criminal on the cross. And what he said on, what he did on that day, He he says and he does for us. He gives us promise, promise of a future and promise of a hope. And when you hear these statements, you, you recognize that even on the cross, Jesus was focused on others. 
He was thinking about those around him. And that too is a lesson for us. The third word is a very personal word. It, it could be dubbed a word of compassion. Because these other two words could be relevant for everybody. But these words were relevant to two particular people who were near the cross. Though I would suggest we're all somewhere in this picture. Somewhere around or perhaps far from the cross. We each find ourselves in this story. And, and part of the benefit of this story is to see where God might speak to us, even in this setting. But on that day, Jesus had his mind on others. Think about that. If ever there was a time for a pity party, if ever there was a time where it was okay to sing, woe is me, it's at your deathbed, in those last moments of life, but not Jesus. When he was on the cross, others were on his mind. Or as that old gospel song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You were on his mind. And that should be worthy of celebration. Remember the context as we look at John chapter 19. Jesus has been beaten after having been betrayed. He was tried, though it was a circus, and then he was flogged and beaten some more. He was mocked. He was tortured. And then he was hung on the cross. All that has happened when we tune in to John's gospel Chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Some of your translations say they took his tunic. That's going to be important, so remember that. So they said, rather than tearing apart, let's throw dice for it. This is fulfilled, the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her, that's Mary, into his home. And in these few words of Jesus, we find something that's at the heart of our Christian faith, really at the heart of the gospel itself. It expresses a duty, a family duty, that every member of the family of God has. And it's really the one thing I want you to get today. Here it is. The love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So we talk about it often, what it means to follow after God. And, and all around the world, people would say, if you're going to follow after God, you love others. After all, that's the words of Jesus. They came to him. 13,000 plus laws had been established out of the 10 from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And so they thought they would trick Jesus one day. And they said, what's the most important of the commands? And Jesus didn't stammer or stutter. He said, that's an easy one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Love your neighbor as yourself. So the early church would take this on. And those who followed after Christ have been known for their love if they were known for good things. 
So the Apostle Paul would teach us, and I read this week devotionally in the book of Galatians, that if we really fulfill that royal law, he's referring back to the words of Jesus, we will love others just as we love ourselves. And so it's easy to say love others, but sometimes we forget that you can see, you can touch, you can feel the love of others. You know if someone is being loving. Loving is more than just an expression of words, isn't it? Love can be expressed in tangible ways. And that is something, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that you should be doing in your little corner of the world. Peggy Noonan the great speechwriter for President Ronald Reagan, tells the story of Frances Green. Frances Green, an 83-year-old lady who lived on nothing but Social Security, and yet for many years she had sent $1 a year into the Republican National Committee as a donation. After doing this for many years, one day she received an invitation in the mail. It was an invitation to the White House, or at least so she presumed. It was on nice paper. It was personally inscribed. Frances got so excited. She was ready to go to the White House, and, and she forgot to notice a small detail. With that letter was an RSVP card, and with the RSVP card was a small print that said, please return this with your generous donation to receive an invitation to the White House. All that aside, Frances scraped up every penny she had. She bought a train ticket. That's the only way she could travel. She couldn't afford a sleeper car. So for three or four days, she rode in coach class and slept upright, headed to the White House. And on the day of her invitation, she took her invitation. She put on her nicest white dress and her white stockings and her white hat. And she went to the guard gate there at the White House, only to be told by the guard, sorry, ma'am. This isn't an official invitation, and you're not on the list to come in today. It just so happened that one of the high executives of the Ford Motor Company was in line right behind her. He heard the whole exchange. So when the guard was finished, he turned to Miss Francis, and he said, Ma'am, I think there's been some confusion. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to help straighten this out. Meet me here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and we're going to get you that visit to the White House that you were promised. She agreed, and they both went on their way. He went into the White House where he made contact with Ann Higgins, a presidential aide. And he asked her to arrange for a special visit with President Reagan the next day. Neither of them had any idea what the next day would hold. It ended up being the day that White House Chief of Staff Ed Meese resigned <laughs> It was also a day in which there were multiple worldwide conflicts. There were several high-level secret sessions taking place. And yet that executive managed to get that private tour of Francis Green of the White House, and he quietly led her to the Oval Office. He knew what was taking place, so he hoped that maybe just President Reagan could wave to her <laughs> as people came out of the office. But they stood there as the National Security Council, other generals of the military began to leave. And then President Reagan caught Francis's eye. And he stood up from behind the desk in the Oval Office and he said, Francis, come on in. Those dang computers, they're always messing stuff up. And he sat her down there in the Oval Office and they began to talk about her small town in California, about her life, about her family. 
And the President of the United States made Francis Green feel like a million bucks. Most people would look at that and think it was a waste of time. But not President Reagan. He knew that this woman had nothing to give him. But she needed something that he could give her. Kindness and compassion. And so that's what he gave her. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. What a great story. But but what a greater lesson. There are people in our little corner of the world that need the same thing. A little kindness. A little compassion. A tangible expression of the love of God. And so that's why it's important to know that the love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So think about what had happened. Jesus was bruised, beaten, battered, and betrayed. He was reviled, ridiculed, and rejected. He was derided, deserted, and detested. And there near the cross, near the cross, Watching it all was his mama, Mary. A parent should never experience, much less watch the death of their child. Some would say that's the most unnatural thing in our human existence. And some of you have walked that deep grief. And I pray you've experienced the grace and compassion of the Lord. I pray that regularly for my brother. I never forget that early morning I was sitting by my friend Robert Holt on an airplane in South America returning from a mission trip. And I I got a, a call from my brother. As I answered the phone, I heard my big brother say, I think Josh is dead. Josh was my 24-year-old nephew. And my brother discovered him, passed away on the morning of Josh's younger brother's wedding rehearsal dinner. In moments like that, you have no words. All you have is compassion All you have is is prayer. So there's Mary watching the worst of the worst, a mother's nightmare. But she knew it wasn't going to be easy, right? Ever, Ever since she was introduced to this idea, people had made fun of her. She had been shamed 
an unplanned pregnancy. And then she gave birth as a homeless woman. Some of you grew up without much, didn't you? Maybe you still don't have much. He gets you. And then after the birth of Jesus, I mean, she was on the run. They were hiding, just trying to survive. They had to go to Egypt because the king was threatening to kill her son. But then there's this interaction at the temple where this old man named Simeon comes to her and it says, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and he did, and many others to rise, and he did, and, and he's been sent as a sign from God, and he was, but many will oppose him, and they did, and as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and that's still taking place. But then he said, And a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine as the mother of a small child hearing those words from someone you believe and respect? It was like the promise that your heart is going to break. You're going to be pierced at your, at your core like being stabbed with a knife. Think about what it must have been like for Mary. All the things going through her mind. Reliving it all. Max Lucado, when the book God Came Near, gives us 25 questions he would love to ask Mary. I'm not going to read them all, but just listen to some of these. What was it like, Mary, watching Jesus pray? Hey, Mary, when Jesus saw a rainbow, did he ever mention the flood? When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter... Did he, did he act differently? Did you ever see Jesus look at a distance, kind of with a blank stare, as if he was listening to someone you could not hear? Hey, Mary, how did Jesus act at funerals? <laughs> did he do well in school? Did you ever have to scold him? Did he get along with his brothers? When someone referred to Satan, how did he act? Hey, Mary, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? <laughs> well, what it must have been like to be Mary. But there she was on that day, near the cross, watching her son die. Erwin Lutzer says it well when, when he says, Wonderful mother that she was, she nevertheless took her place with the other sinners at the foot of the cross. And that's a reminder to all of us. No matter what tradition you came from and what esteem you may have placed on Mary, she was a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's good news. That means whether you're a preacher or, or whether you've accomplished some of the worst things you could imagine, you're in the same need of God's grace and salvation. Aren't you thankful that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Aren't you thankful for God's grace? So then... 
in that context, we have Jesus looking at Mary, uttering these words. Look at verse 26 again. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. Why was he doing this? I think there's something to learn here. The words of Jesus illustrate his devotion to family. And as Jesus was devoted to his family, we learn if we're going to be Christ-like, we must, we must develop devotion to family. Why then? Why would Jesus say what he said when he said it? To understand this, you've got to look back to what had just happened. And Chuck Swindoll points this out. He, he says it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus utters these words right after the section where we hear that the soldiers are gambling over the tunic, the robe, the undergarments of Jesus. That tunic that you have described there in those verses, it had special meaning. Tradition holds that the tunic was generally given to a man by his mother. A special gift. This particular tradition suggests that this tunic of Jesus was given by Mary to Jesus when he left to begin his ministry. So I know in the pictures that we have, we, we think of Jesus having cloth around him on the cross. That would not have been the case. The Romans, remember, they crucified about 30,000 individuals a year. Not Roman citizens. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. These were the Jews and other slaves. And they would strip them naked to shame them one more time. And so as Jesus is hanging there, Perhaps he sees the guards gambling over that special piece of clothing. He looks and he sees his mother weeping as she watches her son die. And he says, Mama, <laughs> it's going to be okay. John's going to take care of you. Author Pink says, engaged as he was in a divine transaction, making atonement for the sins of all people, grappling with the powers of darkness, yet amid it all, he still has the same human tenderness, which shows the perfection of the man of Jesus Christ. He shows love to his mama. So what is that teaching us? Is it obedience? Sure, Right? The, the Ten Commandments, we've heard the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty twelve says, honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long life in the land of the Lord your God has given you. It's the first commandment that we have with the promise. This is an important thing. In fact, as the church begins to establish, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that we still are under this command in Ephesians 6, 1, he says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. This was not less than a lesson in obedience. 
And for some of you, it just got hard. Because that's not been a good relationship. For some of you, your parents have long gone and it was not good relationships. And you're wrestling through these emotions. Some of you still dealing with this or wrestling through what do I do? Others of you did well. And you're encouraged in this moment. I guess I would just, before we move on, remind you there is a principle here. And the principle is, it's always right to do right. So whether it's easy or whether, as is often the case, it's challenging. These family relationships are vitally important. It's always right to honor your parents. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.